0: A lot of people with disabilities don't like to be looked at as inspirational just for living their lives, but it happens a lot. My name is Nate, and that's why this podcast is called We're the Inspiration. On this show, people with disabilities get to tell their own stories, but with me, a wheelchair user as host, they also control how they're told, which is to say not in a way that's designed to inspire others. They're just real and hopefully entertaining. On the last episode, Greg Pote and I made reference to a friend of ours who had both spina bifida and cerebral palsy, and that friend joins me today, and like Greg, I played basketball with him and I coached him, Robert Brown. Thank you for being the inspiration for this week's show. Thank you, Nate. Thanks for having me. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yeah. We've been talking about doing this for quite a long time, but... Yes. We'll get into some of why it took so long, but you've been a very busy guy, even through COVID. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. The first thing I want to mention, I don't know if you remember this, but you have the distinction of being the only person so far on this podcast that I interviewed before I got into radio. Oh. I was in college, and you were in high school, and... I think just as an experiment, as far as whether I could make it entertaining, I was trying to have you and I think Eric come to my college because we had different spring breaks. Yeah. And it ended up being you and Pat Atwell. Okay. Yeah. And you did most of the talking, understandably. I love Pat, but he, he's not a most talkative guy, me. you know? He was not a talkative guy. No. <laughs> he might be now. I don't know. I'll have to find yeah. out. One of the reasons I bring that up is that that is where I found out that you had both spina bifida and cerebral palsy.
1: Huh? yeah.
0: Because that was part of the interview. But okay. since then, I've always kind of been curious. Do you have any insight as to how doctors determine that you had both?
1: I was born with spina bifida. My parents knew from at some point in the womb that I was going to be born with spider bifida. I don't exactly remember the timeline here, but at some point when I was an infant, I was playing with something. I don't even remember what. Let's just say a ball. I was favoring my right hand more than my left hand. And for those that don't know, my left hand is the one that's affected because of my CP. We'll get into that too, but go ahead. Yeah, so... It was determined that I had a stroke at some point between birth and, I think it was six months. So I don't technically have CP because CP has to happen at birth or during the birthing process. I just tell people I have CP because it's frankly easier to understand for layman's. So you've been lying to us for years. Yes, I've been <laughs> lying to you for years.
0: No, now that you say it, I actually remember you telling me that you had a stroke at some point. Yeah, yeah. so that makes sense. Because obviously, I mean, your left arm, you know, I mean, you can move it, but you can't do much with it,
1: right? I can do gross motor stuff, which is moving from the shoulder and the elbow, but I can't do fine motor stuff. I can't move my fingers independently at all. I can't independently grasp something. So that means if my hand decides to grab something, it's going to hold on for dear life. And, and I have to use my right hand to uh, <laughs> make it stop. It's something I've lived with my entire life, so it doesn't affect me really anymore.
0: I do have a, a history of strength training, and huh? I know that you and I... Privately, at times, have been in the past trying to brainstorm ideas to strengthen that arm or that hand. But yeah, did, did anything ever come of that? Has it ever gotten any better?
1: Or six to eight months ago, a friend of mine started a adaptive CrossFit class. Okay, this friend is also in the wheelchair, so I've been going to that once a week for the last six to eight months. And so we've been slowly focusing on my left hand and stretching it and putting light weights on it, like literally one pounds. Because what I don't want to happen is I don't want my right side to be so strong and my left side to be so weak. I want to have some balance. You want it to be
0: more even, yeah. Yeah. Sticking with the conversation about your arm but sort of going back to when you were starting to learn to do things give me an idea of some of the things that
1: were difficult to learn to do with just one arm so i have two answers for you the opposite answers okay one answer is everything and one answer is nothing um (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> and again, you have nothing
0: to compare it to, so.
1: Right, yes. And, and I have nothing to compare it to. This is all I've ever known mm-hmm. since I was six months old or whatever. One of my favorite sayings is I don't know what I don't know. So I don't know what it would be like to have two working hands. One of the people that I follow on YouTube, her name is Molly Book. And. She has a visual disability, which is quite different than what I have. But the other day, uh, she had a video that said that most 37-year-olds, I'll use my age, don't have first every day, and I have a first every day. There's something that I have to figure out that I've not done every day. And so it's just being determined and figuring out how to do something. That I think is what I had to learn when I was a little kid in my growing up years.
0: One of the things that I know that you learned to do after you had moved, because you used to live in Virginia. I live in Maryland, and we'll get into that later again, but one of the things I know that you learned to do after you moved was drive. Yes. And... I know for myself, the process of learning to drive was at sometimes tedious, but, you know, very involved. There are a lot of things that I had to do that somebody that was not in a wheelchair would not have Mm -hmm. to do. And again, one of the differences between you and me, I have two functional arms, so Mm -hmm. take me through the
1: process of you learning to
0: drive with just the one arm.
1: So my question to you is, do you have 16 years?
0: <laughs> so going in to asking that, I knew that it would be kind of a complicated answer. But yeah. again, that's kind of why I asked it, right? Yeah, no, I because get it. Th- this is something that people would not think about.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So when I was 15, like every 15 year old, oh, I'm going to say most because I'm sure there's people that don't. I wanted to drive, and I wanted to have that independence. I am fortunate enough to grow up with parents that don't take no for an answer, ever. Uh, <laughs> I know your parents, that's true. It's it's where I get it from. <laughs> I often tell my dad, you, you made this monster, this is your fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I was 16, I went to vocal rehab, and... Started that process. Met with a driving instructor in Virginia, where I lived at the time. Extremely long, story short, that instructor was not able to help me drive. And so I was sent to Hershey, Pennsylvania, years later, because they had a driving program. They had different equipment or better equipment. So I went there, and that instructor, after three or four weeks of trying to teach me, determined that I, quote, wasn't a driver, end quote. In the meantime, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, where I currently live. And my parents, when I was a kid, before we moved uh, away from Kentucky, had met the driving instructor that was in Kentucky and still is in Kentucky. We as a family decided on one of my spring breaks in the high school to take a trip to Kentucky and meet with this lady and just see what she says. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we set that up and they had different equipment, the equipment I have today in my van. After a week of lessons, she said, you are a driver. I can get you to drive. You know, complete opposite of of what the other uh, instructors said. Literally the opposite. You are not a driver,
0: you are a driver.
1: Right, yeah. Then the next step was to figure out how to get me licensed. Because for legal reasons that I don't fully understand, I think it has to do with car insurance, the state of Kentucky couldn't drive their vehicle to Virginia, where I lived at the time, to get me licensed in Virginia. So I went to Virginia and said, okay, Folk Rehab, Virginia, this is what I need. This equipment is what I need to learn to drive. I am not asking you to buy it for myself yet. I am asking you to buy it for your Mm -hmm. driving instructional program. After weeks of debate, weeks of waiting, Virginia said no, because I would be the only person in the state of Virginia to ever use that equipment. I, as an 18-year-old, roughly, kid, called BS on them. I fought it for a while, but if you've ever lived in Virginia, D.C., Maryland, it's... Fairly public transit friendly. Yeah. And also, driving there, I mean, I don't know because I've never done it, but there's a lot of traffic. So, I thought to myself, there's public transit and um, it would be a pain in the booty to get Virginia to help me out here. So... I just decided to stop worrying about it and live my life. I was in college at that point. I decided that my focus should be in college, not worrying about driving. So I didn't worry about it for like roughly 12 years. And then I got the opportunity to move back to Lexington with my mom and dad, who were retiring and moving to Lexington. I didn't want to live 600-plus miles away from them. So I moved back. And one of the reasons I moved to Lexington is to get my license, which I've now obtained. Like I said in the beginning of this story, you have 16 years. It was a 16-year process. Right. But one that I am glad I didn't give up on completely. I think everybody that
0: is disabled that had issues with something like learning to drive has a different story about it. Like I think yeah. I've told my story on the podcast before you probably know it cause you know, really? I, I didn't start driving till I was in my mid twenties. Yeah. Um, and there were so many steps to it that your typical driver wouldn't have to take. But really? also as you were telling that story, I was trying to think of what, but I know that in my life, there have been situations where I was told, we can't get this for you because you would be the only one to use it. Yeah. That seems to be a common narrative when it comes to
1: people with disabilities also. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm glad that these systems like what We Have exist. I'm glad that aid for people with disabilities exists. The problem with these systems, in my opinion, is that you have able-bodied individuals working there who have never grown up or actively been around people with disabilities. They just know it from school and they just follow what their school tells them to do. The best experiences I've had are with people that have a disability themselves whether it be physical or invisible or secondly have a family member with a disability. Because Um, if you're
0: that close to it you at least understand.
1: Yes, exactly. And with respect to everybody that works in anything in any area, if you are just doing something for a job or for a paycheck, but you're not passionate in it, I don't know. I've had people do more harm than good because they're not passionate in it.
0: I could use myself as an example of that because I started in radio and political talk, which I had no passion for whatsoever, but... I always I say, thank God I wasn't on the air at that point, you know, but, <laughs> but I think I see both sides of it when it comes to just general public knowledge of people with disabilities, because it's not necessarily their fault if someone doesn't know maybe what we know about people mm-hmm. with disabilities, but it becomes their fault if they treat us a certain way because of yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: If people that are working with people don't know something and they're supposed to be the expert in the room, it's okay for experts to ask questions. There have been times professionals have worked with me and I just wish they would ask me questions about how I want to be treated, what what language to use. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's thousands of examples, but... Asking questions is good.
0: Yeah. You know, we're bouncing around here a little bit, but I want to get into basketball a little bit. Because yeah. that's something we've had in common for years. Like I said, we played basketball together. I coached you a little bit, just because I'm five years older or whatever. And this is going back to the fact that you only have one really functional arm. But I remember a point where you got a specific kind of wheelchair
1: that could Uh sort of
0: control both wheels on one side. Yeah. I don't know if I ever asked you this, but mechanically, how did that work?
1: There were two rims on the right side rather than one rim on each side. The way that it works is the outer rim turns right only. The inner rim turns left. And if you pulled both limbs, the Mm. wheelchair goes straight. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, but it also seems
0: kind of easy to screw up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and as far as a basketball wheelchair goes, I just got one of those that fit me five years ago, Mm -hmm. something like that. A wheelchair company finally engineered one that worked. I asked another a wheelchair company, years ago when I was still on the Falcons, if they could make me one. And they literally laughed at me on the phone. Oh, jeez. And basically told me that that was impossible. My response has been never order a chair from them again. Do we want to say who it was? Not really, no. (laughs) Okay. They don't get free advertisement. (laughs) Well... it's
0: more putting them on blast if it's bad, but, you know. Well, true. But yeah, so so that's how my chair works. So you mentioned that people should not do something as far as a career that they don't have a passion for. Yeah. And I agree with that, but is that why you studied assisted technology in school?
1: Well, see, that's a funny story. I have an undergraduate degree in IT and information technologies. For one of my classes in undergraduate, we had to, I think, do a website on a specific topic and technology. So that specific topic could be anything. Not knowing much about assistive technology, I chose disability and technology because those were my two passions. And then I found this whole world of assistive technology that I knew nothing about, and then realized that George Mason University, the school that I went to, had a assistive technology program, and it's because of that very small project that I have a master's degree in assistive technology. But, Yes, it is absolutely a passion of mine to help people with disabilities in any way possible. And technology helps with that. I mean, I hope you don't mind me saying, mate, that neither of us could go anywhere without a wheelchair, and that is technology. <laughs> um, couldn't go very far, that's for sure. Like, right. If we um, tried, we'd
0: get run over by something. Exactly, exactly. Which is also technology,
1: you know. Which is also maybe, technology. Maybe
0: another wheelchair, who knows. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah, I got to leave that
0: in now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Once you moved to a different part of the country and you and I didn't speak as often, which is fine, you know, because it just happens. But mm-hmm. one of the things that you told me in a conversation after you had moved was... You weren't so involved in assistive technology anymore, but you had started working as a social worker. Yeah. So how did that come about?
1: (laughs) I needed a job. Um, (laughs) I mean, honestly, that's the truth. But I started working at Goodwill as a store associate. Every Goodwill employee has a career coach, a job coach. One day, mine came up to me, and... We've had many, many conversations about, I want to do what you do. And basically I said, don't come to me unless you have something like that. And he comes to me and he says, one of my coworkers is leaving and you should apply. I got off work, went home and immediately applied. Got an interview and got a job. And and I enjoyed the helping people aspect. I I enjoyed the um, interactions. So now I'm in school currently to get a master's in social work make it more official <laughs> yeah i like to joke that i'm becoming an actual social worker <laughs> so i just don't play one on tv anymore it must have been a while ago that i found out that
0: you were working as a social worker you know whether you had a background it or not but mm-hmm. i remember a story that came out I think basically right before I started this podcast a year ago, Hmm. and I know you don't live in Texas, but it was about the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, who's also in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And at the time, he was going to make it legal for social workers to deny clients that were, well, it was based on disability, gender identity, or sexual orientation, I think. Okay. Okay. Hearing that you worked in social work, I I just wanted to talk about that with you even a year ago, as far as like, aren't those some of the people that could benefit most from working with a social worker? Yes. I mean, there's not much (laughs) else to say about that, right? Yes.
1: I mean, that's all I got for you. It's just how stupid that whole thing is, right? Well, and also, this is going to be political, but I'm going to stay... Oh, you can get political. I don't care. Okay. Okay. So, for a governor of any state, anywhere, that has a disability or that has a gender identity that's not conforming to what they were born with or is LGBTQ or is black or is other in some way, any minority of any kind. Yes. To have a governor slap their own community in the face is ridiculous to me of course that's why i wanted to mention
0: this to you like it's
1: it's a year old story but it remains insane yes i don't know this governor's story i don't know if he was born with a disability or not but i have found that people that were not born with a disability Sometimes, not all the time. Nothing's absolute with me ever. But I found that people that were not born with a disability tend to treat the disability community differently than those that were born with a disability. Neither of us live in Texas. So
0: I should have probably, if I was going to bring this up, read about this before. But here's what it says. 1984, at age 26, Greg Abbott was paralyzed below the waist when an oak tree fell on him
1: while he was jogging following a storm. Okay. okay. So not born with a disability, please cut this out. My initial reaction was to laugh hysterically. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because um, I wanted to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Look out, a tree. Yeah, I've just found that people that were not born with a disability, like Governor Abbott, tend to treat the disability community differently than folks that were born with disabilities. I have a theory that people that were not born with a disability are still mourning their old life. In their life when they could walk, when they could run, when they could jog, when they could fill in the blank here. I can't justify what Governor Abbott did, but it might be a trauma response. I mean,
0: if, if there is justification for it, that might be it, because yeah, otherwise... And this does happen. It's someone that was more or less forced into the disabled community, mm-hmm. doing something to go against the disabled community. That does yeah. happen, but oh yeah, but it becomes something that goes against the person's own self-interest. Yeah, which is just mind-boggling to me. But I think that you're onto something when you say that some people just who were not born disabled or whatever and again we only have so much to compare it to yeah they want that old life back and when they realize they can't have it a lot of them get bitter about it
1: yeah i know for educational fact that everybody mourns differently and in their own time sure and this is now an opinion But I think that people that were born with a disability have a different mourning journey than folks that were not born with a disability and, as you said, find themselves in the disability community. Right. There's also a difference of starting the mourning process at age zero, like I did, (laughs) <laughs> then starting it at age 27, like Governor Abbott did. Right.
0: I think a lot of the people that, let's just say, are in their mid-20s and contract a disability somehow, uh-huh. as he did, I think a lot of those people end up mourning for themselves.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And we don't have to do that. Nope. For me, I, I did it when I was in my teen years,
0: Well, everybody mourns for themselves in their teen years,
1: really. (laughs) Well, true. If I may go back to the Falcons, I tell people all the time, I've even told Coach Utter, that the Fairfax Falcons saved my life. There is no doubt about that. When I was growing up, I didn't have many, if any, friends that looked like me that had a disability, that moved through life in a wheelchair. I basically had none until I was 11. So when I was 11, thoughts of suicide started to happen. Oof. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a method. But those thoughts were there. Then I joined the Falcons, and I saw... This number is made up, but then I saw 20 kids with disabilities that were having fun on a basketball court. You I'm just know. Absorbing
0: the fact that I've known you since you were 11 years old. I know. That's
1: crazy. Alex Gonzalez is going to be 30 this year. That's not allowed. God, I feel so old. I know. Um, <laughs> I've known him since I was five. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> since he was five. Since he was five. oh since um, he, yeah. Yeah. Uh um, do the math on that, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> um But anyway, I slowly made friends on the team, like Eric Rowan and Greg Poe, and others as well. We would hang out, but I found myself at some point getting through the week and looking forward to Saturday mornings when we had practice. practice. Feeling my most normal self, whatever that word means, it doesn't have a definition in my opinion. Feeling my most true self on Saturday mornings. And Saturday afternoons if a friend of mine and I would hang out or whatever. I talked to Coach Otto about this. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna put him on blast because that's more fun for me. He's probably gonna <laughs> listen to this, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I told Coach Otto this. Whenever you had him on, I, I, I listened to his podcast. Gosh, he
0: was—if not in the first ten episodes, it was like maybe the first twenty. So yeah, it, it's been a while, but
1: yeah. So I messaged him and said. I enjoyed your episode and just so you know, you saved my life. Oh, wow. And his response, which I understand his response and he's not wrong. He said, I didn't save your life. You saved your own life. He also provided a space where these kids in wheelchairs with disabilities could be themselves And were treated as whole human beings, not their disability, not just their disability. I appreciate the fact that we were just kids at his practice. We were annoying kids that annoyed the crap out of him, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, But he treated us as kids, as teenagers, as, you know, whatever age we were. So... It wasn't a, these kids are special kids. We have to treat them special. No, Todd didn't treat anybody special. And I mean that in the best way possible. He knew that we had distinct
0: personalities. Yeah. And he knew how to relate to those. Mm-hmm. But as far as doing anything to coddle us just because we had a disability, none of the coaches did that. What you know. Yeah. But... I don't want to say going back to feeling suicidal or anything like that, but you know, I never experienced this, but I understand it that a lot of kids would feel most at home just around other people in wheelchairs because otherwise they would be around a lot of people who didn't know really how to handle the disability. And again, I didn't experience much of that. I, and I don't really know why. Mm. And every time I bring that up, no matter who I'm talking about it with, just goes,
1: don't question it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Don't question it, you know? Yeah. So I've had a mental health journey my entire life. Still do to this day. Therapy is important. Everybody should be in therapy. That's my soapbox that I'll roll off of right now. Uh, (laughs) But I've only ever had therapists that didn't have a disability. None of my therapists have ever had disabilities. Do you feel like you've taught them something too? So, right now, currently, I'm a a therapist, and he's, and I've told this to his face that he's the best therapist I've ever had. He doesn't have a disability, but he has told me that he's learned some things from me, but more importantly, to me personally, is that he's taken the time out of his day to get educated by other individuals that have a disability or know about disability and mental health. So the answer to your question is yes, but I think it's more valuable for mental health professionals and just people in general to... Ask questions to the person, learn from the person, but also don't treat them as the expert of of everything. Learn on your own and get information elsewhere. I can tell you from experience that it is exhausting to be the only one with a disability in the room, and you have to speak up because... There's something disability related that nobody's thinking about and nobody's going to bring it up unless you do. I have been that person and I will be that person again. Um, We all have. Let's face it. Yeah. I mean, if you you get
0: to a certain age, you're going to experience that if you have a disability. Yeah.
1: I'm a white male, but I'm sure it's the same for people of color. I'm sure it's the same for the LGBTQ being a minority and in my opinion a minority that is not talked about ever except on is, the show <laughs> well right yeah had to get that <laughs> in sorry <laughs> oh, no you're fine it's a problem if people with disabilities are on the news or talked about well, either the butt of the joke some of which are funny or will the inspiration And I use that completely intentionally. We become the inspiration for society to look at. That's one of the reasons that I don't watch the news, because I don't need to see a little kid with a disability chewing their gum. And people being amazed by it. Right,
0: yes, exactly. Yeah. I don't watch the news for the same reasons, but when's the last time you saw someone with a disability... That was in a real news piece, like as opposed to just a fluff piece.
1: This is totally political. I'm just going to go here. I guess I have seen folks with disabilities get beat up by police, but there are also people of color, people that are brown or black. And the focus of the piece, it's terrible regardless. Right. But the focus of the piece is their blackness, not their disabilityness? Right. One of the things that I say to my friend group and whoever will listen to me, which if you're in my friend group, you're going to listen to me whether you like it or not. <laughs> I know um, that for sure, yeah. But one of the things I say is people with disabilities are getting killed too in the streets. You're just not hearing about it. I remember
0: years ago... I don't know how I remember this just from you telling that side of that. But I remember reading like decades ago about this guy who was in a wheelchair and he was tasked with buying some underage kids some beer. This was was in the Washington Post or some big newspaper. He buys the beer, goes outside... The only thing I remember about that story, other than that, was the fact that after they took the beer, these kids stole the guy's wheelchair. You. And I remember that because my first thought after reading that story was, did they drink the beer before they stole the wheelchair?
1: Uh, so that leads me to something else. Yeah. <laughs> This is about to get silly, and that story was not silly. No, But uh, I was browsing the news one day. I was in college, so... A decade or so ago. Yeah. I see the best headline I've ever seen and will ever see in my life. It said, drunk driving in a wheelchair. (laughs) 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 It was about a gentleman who... Used a power wheelchair for mobility and got drunk and went on the highway and I think got hit by a semi and somehow, it somehow got wedged in the front of the semi. And Oh, I
0: think I heard about this.
1: The semi stopped and the guy was drunk, but otherwise completely fine. I just remember the headline, drunk driving in a wheelchair. Made me giggle. I think
0: that there was someone that we used to play basketball with that I think he got a ticket, maybe it was arrested, for jaywalking in a wheelchair. Huh. Which is very hard to avoid when you think about it. Well,
1: yeah. (laughs) Also, we are not pedestrians. No. Because pedestrian means something to the effect of On foot. Walking on your feet.
0: On foot, yeah.
1: Yes. So we are not pedestrians. (laughs) We are not the inspiration and we are not pedestrians.
0: All right, speaking of not being the inspiration, (laughs) this is usually the last thing I ask people. But, you know, I explained at the beginning of the show why the podcast has the name that it does. So toward the end, I always like to ask the people with disabilities who come on for stories about being called inspirational for no reason whatsoever.
1: Oh man, you want my rage to come out. I see. (laughs) Some people do get upset about that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of the point, right? Yeah, totally. I'm not trying to avoid your question, but this story just sticks out and I have to say it otherwise it won't leave my brain. I was at work one day at Goodwill when I worked for them and a customer comes up to me and this is a, not elderly, but older lady. She says, what happened? As somebody with a disability, I knew what she meant. I'm not an idiot. I knew what she was going for. I actually thought at that point, Well, I could punch a woman out and get fired. (laughs) Or or I could try to duck the question. So I just said, nothing, ma'am. Can I help you with something? Are you okay? She, like, wouldn't let it go. So I gave her the answer that I give, like, two-year-olds. I was born with a disability, but otherwise I'm just like you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, in
0: thinking about that, though, I mean... We talked a lot about this in the beginning. You have the extra added complimentary bonus of one of your arms not working as well as your legs. So yeah. it's not like you're just in a wheelchair and that's all people see. Right.
1: No, absolutely.
0: I like to say that I won the disability lottery. <laughs>
1: um, say that
0: five times fast. I can't.
1: <laughs> that five times fast. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But yeah, and I understand curiosities. Sure. And I'm always okay with mature curiosity. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I'm talking about adults now. Sure. But adults should know English better than kids. And be more mature than kids. So coming up to somebody and saying, what happened? Is something a five-year-old should do, not a 55-year-old. Kids (laughs) almost
0: can't help it sometimes.
1: Oh, totally. Kids really do say the dumbest things. I've been asked everything by kids, and I'm never offended because they're kids and they don't know how to ask. Did I tell you the story
0: of the kid I met the day that I got my driver's license? I don't think so. I think I told this on the podcast, but I'm going to tell it again. I already passed the driver's test. I'm waiting to get my picture taken. Uh-huh. This little kid comes up to me. Couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old. Yeah. He taps me on the shoulder. I turn around. He looks at me and he goes, do you have a fake leg? <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he asked that because I think it was his father or maybe his grandfather had a prosthesis and that's why he used a wheelchair. Oh, okay. So... Honestly, that's a logical. Not a bad question to ask, if a little direct. But like you said, you can't really get mad at kids for that kind of curiosity. So, I, it took me a couple seconds to answer. I, I turned my head away from him. I'm, I'm like, I can't lash out at this kid. What am I gonna do? Finally, I, I go, No, I don't have a fake leg. Do you? <laughs> and that's why exactly. he told, that's where where he told me the story. And. Okay. Probably about five feet away was, I assume, his mother. Okay. And she just looks at me like she's dying of embarrassment. Yeah. And I just like, it's okay. Don't worry about it, you know?
1: Right, yeah. If she
0: had asked me, there wouldn't have been a problem,
1: you know? Yes, but- completely. I probably have a dozen stories similar to what the one I'm about to tell, but I was somewhere... <laughs> And there was a little kid that said, mommy, what's wrong with him? Or why does he use that wheelchair? Mm -hmm. You know, something like that. Yeah. She could have been more than three. And this mom was, to her credit, trying to answer, but struggling. (laughs) And I think she was struggling in part because she didn't want me to hear her answer. I just turned around and said, ma'am, would it be okay if I answered your child? And, you know, I just said, my legs don't walk, but I'm fine otherwise. Oh you know, something like that. Right. Then that little kid was satisfied and she moved on with life.
0: That's, uh-huh. that's the best way to handle it, is to at, yeah. least, at least have the opportunity to answer it yourself. Because yeah. not only should they have an understanding of what's going on, but they sort of have a rapport with someone with a disability at that point. And, Absolutely. You know, when you told that story, I thought of another one. This one is not funny, but and it's not bad either, but I remember being in the grocery store once years ago, and I was in some aisle getting something, and I come out of the aisle, and behind me, I hear this little girl ask her mother, Mom, what's wrong with that guy? Uh. Something like that. And I don't remember the mother's response other than me thinking that it was somewhat civilized as far as like, well, his legs don't work or whatever. And that's why he needs a wheelchair to get around. Something like that. Yeah. And I was fine with it. But part of me kind of wanted to turn around if she gave a crappy answer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had the instance where a kid asks mom or dad? A question. And the mom and dad says, Shh, shh. Don't answer the lesson. Have you ever had that problem? I don't think
0: that's happened to my face, but I, I think there have been situations where conversations like that have gone on and they didn't think I was
1: aware of it. Every time that happens, I really want to go up to that kid and bypass parent at that point because the parents lost all credibility and just answer that kid's question because if you don't answer kids questions about a difference it doesn't really matter what the difference is i'll use disability for this podcast sake but it doesn't matter any difference really regarding
0: any minority
1: yeah because a, lot, if he, a lot
0: of other minorities get the same questions
1: yeah And if you ignore kids' questions about that, or you tell them to hush, or you don't allow them to ask questions, they're going to be scared of the people with disabilities, of the other, because they don't know better, because you didn't teach them better. It's cheesy, but the children of the future, and I think one of the biggest ways to help with the oppression of people with disabilities and other minorities is to answer questions from kids and to show kids that Nate is just like you uh, or that Robert is just like you. Every time I'm out anywhere and a kid stares at me, which happens basically every time I leave my house, sure, I always make a point to either smile at the kid or if I'm in close enough proximity, say hi to the kid. And at the very least, that shows the kid that I have a voice. Yes. And that I'm not as scary as my power wheelchair makes it look. Right. (laughs) I can understand... To a little kid, or to anybody really, that hasn't seen a power chair, that it could be intimidating. I get it.
0: We have a humongous responsibility to, I guess, spread awareness is the operative phrase. But there are times when we got to be met halfway. By the people that might not even understand what they're experiencing. Yeah. You know. And it's not even so much the kids. It's the parents that usually have their own ideas about people with disabilities, whether that's from whatever point of ignorance or maybe just from their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them just become set in their own ways and thinking everybody with a disability has the same story. Yeah. And... That couldn't be further from the truth.
1: I agree with you. And I also think that advocacy groups don't want to include, maybe this is subconscious, but don't want to include people with disabilities. And I think the reason is largely because of being afraid. As I've said before, I'm a white male. Mm-hmm. I can never be a black male. It's not possible. I can never be a transgender person. I mean, I'm not. So therefore, that's not possible.
0: Yeah, you know whether you are or not. We're Yeah, not, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But everybody can have a disability. Not everybody can be transgender. Not everybody can be black. But everybody can have a disability. And I think that... Some advocacy groups and the people that work in them and people outside of these advocacy groups are scared to talk about disability because, I don't mean it as a joke, but it's funny, But because they might catch it. One of my favorite phrases to tell people is, if you live long enough and you're old enough and you're lucky enough, you will have a disability before you die. It's a fact.
0: Yeah. I think there's something to be said for the point you brought up. Like I can't wake up tomorrow and realize that I'm black. What? But there are any number of people that can wake up tomorrow and realize, oh, something's wrong with me. Oh, I've contracted such and such a disability. Yep. There's a lot to be said about that, but I think our point is just for those people even if you don't have one, just to be more
1: mindful of the fact that you could. Exactly. And not in a live-your-life-scaled way of the big boogeyman is going to catch me at some point and I'll have to live differently. Education is powerful, and learning about how other people live is powerful and important, I think.
0: So... I want to end with something that you kind of already touched on, which is the fact that you now live in Kentucky. And I think a lot of people know that things are not the best out there, at least in certain parts of Kentucky. So I just want to get a sense for because we have so many mutual friends, like, how are you? How's your family? And even for those who don't know us that might be listening to this, do you know of a way for people to help
1: out if they want to? I'm good. Family's good. No complaints there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can sit here and name organizations to look into, to help out, to support. But really, I mean, I've said it a dozen times in this podcast, but I think education is important. Yeah. If there's one person out there listening to this that doesn't have a disability and doesn't have a friend with a disability... First of all, congratulations for finding this and for listening to this and wanting to educate yourself. If all you do is listen to this hour or whatever it ends up being, that was an important move in the right direction. But I would also encourage that fictional human that I have made up to... um, In your head, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, to continue the education and to... Find organizations in the area that you can volunteer or help out with or support. It sounds really easy. And if a friend of mine is listening to this, shout out. But just being friends with the person with a disability and treating them as you would treat anybody else. It's a win for everybody. It's a win for everybody. Indeed. It's a win for everybody, and it's important. And learn from that friend, ask friends the que- questions, be more mature than what's wrong with you, please. Especially if you're over the age of 10. Friends that are listening to this, I will punch you in the face if you ask me that.
0: <laughs> I might punch myself in the face if I asked you that. <laughs> exactly.
1: I've had adults ask me as jokes like that, but sure. You know. That's just joking around. Yeah, I just think education is the most important thing. As far as Kentucky goes, Kentucky's a mess. But, and you know, the tornadoes just happened. So we're even more of a mess now because of that. This is political, but in my opinion, we have a great governor. He's working with the federal government to help us. So I think we'll be okay. There's people that have died and that's tragic. Nobody in my family has died, so. Well, that's... A win, I guess. That's a win, yes. So we've been talking about
0: doing this for basically a year, and we finally did. I want to thank Robert for being the inspiration for this episode, and thank everybody else for listening. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, join our Discord server, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Links will be in the description. Until next time, this is Nate Lurie saying, you don't always have to do a lot to inspire others.